first time Ethan was born, when I come back from Israel the second time she was born. So we're calling my Israeli bookends. I'm going, I will be there in 10 months. Just saying. <laughs> I want to show all this real quick. The, the fibrillator that the church ordered came in uh, Friday. It's here. It's up and ready. So if you're certified to work it, it's here in this room. If you're not, we'll work on that. Just so you know. And that did offer to be the dummy for that when we learn how to when we learn how to shock. You just can't be holding baby. <laughs> uh, all right, if you got your Bible, we are back over in Haggai. We're going to be in chapter two this time. Haggai chapter two. Um, it's, it's a good study. This is a great, a great book. Um, today kind of ties in a little bit to what Keith was teaching on in Sunday school uh, or what everybody should have been in in Sunday school. And it's about encouragement. Um, you know, we need, we need to know that he's still with us, um, as Paul was talking about. And, and Haggai is doing the same thing. He, he's wanting to let these people know that God ain't forgot about you. And he's trying to be, again, being an encouragement to uh, these these Jews as they came out of out of the wilderness and as they had kind of drugged their feet for several years before they started rebuilding the temple. So Haggai is trying to be, again, an encouragement. Paul was trying to be an encouragement. We are to be an encouragement uh, to those that we're, we face. Some of us face people on a daily basis that struggle, that are, are I'll say, depressed. They've got things going on in their lives and, and they need some encouragement and we can be that encouragement to them so I hope today as we continue through the book of Haggai that we can learn a little bit more about how to be an encouragement to others now it's been about a month from chapter one to chapter two it's been roughly a month since they had restarted the the or restarted rebuilding uh the new the temple that had been left for 16 years and hadn't been touched so they've been going in they've been weeding getting all the weeds out, clearing out all the debris, probably getting out all the rats' nests and everything else. So they're starting to see a little progress uh, at the temple. And then the Lord speaks again to the people during the annual feast of the tabernacle. So they're, they've, they've been in it about a month, and now it's time for the feast. That's why I think Jews are as close to a Baptist, or Baptists are as close to Jews, because they eat all the time. Every time you read it in the Bible, they're eating. They're, doing, they're having a big feast. So we're here at the, the Feast of the Tabernacles, and, and this feast is where people lived in, in temporary homes, and it was to remember where the Lord had brought them from, and two, where he continued for 40 years, where he continued to stay with them for that time in the wilderness, and, and it's a remembrance, it's a time of remembrance for where he stayed with them constantly. He was that smoke, he was that fire, he was that provider, he was the one sustaining them. He gave them manna, he gave them water, he gave them quail and they griped about it. And he went back to manna, but he was always with them. And so they take this time for the Feast of the Tabernacle to remember who God is and how he brought them through. This is the part that I like the best about this, this feast. It's when they stopped and they could remember that God never broke his promise. That's what we ought to be doing. When we come into our churches and we worship him, 
We need to be worshiping him for who he is, and we need to remember that he ain't never lied to us, and he's never broken a promise that he's made us. We ought to do the same thing. We ought to have a Feast of the Tabernacle every Sunday. Hint, hint, just saying. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> but it was also a time of celebration and thanksgiving for the autumn harvest. We won't talk about that. But it was just where God had continued to provide and, and give them for that harvest, where they could put up their crops for the rest of the year and, and give back to God what was his. Um, but we have no way of knowing how much work had been done on the temple in a month, but it was enough to be noticed. Like I said, they probably weeded everything out, and they're smoothing everything out, and there's clearing out the land around it, and there's getting up all the rocks, and there's getting things ready, but it's only been a month. And if you think about how much work can be done in a month, I know building houses, you can you make a huge difference in a month. You can go from... Uh, you know, uh, foundation laid and your blocks up for a basement, and in a month you can have the thing under roof. Now, I mean, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a huge change. But for a tabernacle, it's another story. They had a ways to go. A lot of a lot of rock, a lot of big rock, lots of big rock. So they had a, a little a little work done, probably enough to be done to to give the people an idea of what it would look like once it was done. So this is where uh, this is where some of the older folks started getting discouraged because some of the older folks, and we'll read the scripture here in just a second, some of the older folks could remember what the tabernacle used to look like. And so they were discouraged because it didn't look the same maybe. Or they were discouraged because uh, it, it started to creep in on some people. The discouragement started to creep in on some people uh, because um, they, they were reminiscing about the good old days. And we're going to talk a lot about that here after a while. But they were reminiscing about the good old days, so they were a little disheartened uh, because things were a little different now. And there's another generation coming up under them to, to finish what had been started years ago. Um, so a little discouragement going on there, and, and the focus had been diverted from the Lord to this overwhelming task that had been laid upon them. And, and that's what happens in, in, our, in our lives. We, we are given a task. God lays something on our hearts to do. And then we focus on that. But what we tend to do, just like they were doing, is they had focused so hard on this task ahead of them that they forgot who had given them the task. And they forgot that they needed to be focusing on God and God would help guide them through that task. So they took their eye off the prize. They took their eye off of God. They took their eye off the one that was uh, the supervising this, this rebuild. They took their eyes off of God. And so... Uh, and we do that. God gives us a task. God has given all of us a task. Every one of us has something to do, but we tend to, yeah, we do what he says, but we take our eye off of God. And when God says that we need to be doing something, we need to be focused on him and letting him guide us in what we're doing. Now, Haggai had challenged them to focus on God instead of losing their faith. And that's my challenge to you this morning. Focus on God. Don't lose faith in whatever, he ha whatever task he has given you. Because, again, we all have a task. We all have someone in our lives that we need to focus on. Somebody that we know needs Jesus. That is our task, to go and to lead that person over to Jesus. And we can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of that task. We can't take our eyes off of God because he has called us to that person or to these people or to this group of people or to a school or to a workplace or wherever it might be. He has called us there. And so we can't take our eyes off of him. Stay focused. Paul tells us we've got to keep our eye 
on Him. Keep our eye on the mark. Keep focused on Him as He leads us. And there's no doubt whatsoever we're going to face an overwhelming task at some time in our life. Some of us may have already been there. Some of us may be in it right now. And if you ain't there now, you're going to be in one. It's overwhelming. He will lay something on you. He may call you to preach sometime. Some of you guys may be called to the ministry. That's overwhelming task. What's even more overwhelming than that is to be called into a church to pastor. That's overwhelming. Nothing against it. It's, it's great. It's a great task to have. But sometimes he calls us into something that we think, I can't do it. And that brought up a really good point in Sunday school this morning. These storms that we're preparing for, sometimes they're little storms and we make them a lot bigger than they really are. We do that. These little tasks that God has given us, he gives us small tasks to do and we blow them up. That's, it's awful. Why we do that, I'll never know. We take the smallest, most simplest detail, most simplest thing that he can give us, and we blow it up and make it one of the hardest things in this world to do. But that's flesh. That's just, that's just old flesh getting in the way and doing that. But God, he gives us the task, and we're responsible for accomplishing uh, more than we can do alone. And we are responsible in accomplishing what he has given us, but we cannot do it by ourselves. He never said, here it is, do it on your own. He never said, here, here's your task, holler at me when you get done. Or here's your task, I'll pray for you while you're doing it. He says, here's your task, I'll be with you to the end. He said, while you're here on earth, I'll be with you. I'll be right here by your side. I'll be right there with you, to, and I'm going to dwell in you, and we're going to finish this task together and then sometimes even blesses you with somebody else to, to partner up along you look at Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas and you look at, at Peter and John you look at how he sent them out uh, I think it's the book of Acts where he sent them out by twos the 70s that he sent them out by twos and he always sent them and sometimes God will bless you with someone to go through the task together it may be your spouse it may be your children it may be your church members but he may bless you with not just a task on your own or with him, but he may bless you with somebody else to go through that journey with you. And that's, that's great. But we're responsible for accomplishing that, whatever he lays on us. Now, if we focus only on the task alone, y'all ever do that? You ever give, been given a task and you focus on it, and what do we start doing? We start, thinking, we start crunching numbers because we're numbers people. That's what we do. Here's your task. And it's like, uh. All right, well, how many people is this going to take? How, how much supplies am, am I going to need? Cindy, you have to deal with it, I'm sure, all the time in, in county government. You got, you, here's, I, you're given something to do. We don't have the resources. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the budget to do something like this. It happened at the fire department. We get it all the time. You know, a truck goes down, we've got to buy another one. We don't have the funds to do this. We've got to come up. We've got to start thinking different ways, building a house. Mike and, 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 uh, and uh, Keith, you know, they run into that as well. They're, am I going to have to pull people off of one job to put on another job? We're going to have to hire another crew? What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? But we get focused on those details, and we tend to not think about who's in charge. We get discouraged because we're crunching numbers, and we forget that God is in charge, and God has laid this in front of us to do. Don't get discouraged. 
Let him lead you. Let God guide you. Let God have control of it because he is in control of it. So just let him have it. Let him, Jesus take the wheel. We'll never accomplish the work of the Lord on, on our own. It's through him that we do it. If you've got your Bibles open to chapter 2, we'll finally read now. I'll hush. Chapter 2, Haggai chapter 2. Stand with me just a minute. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. says, And in the seventh month and the one and twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shilton, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Justek, uh, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw the house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and to, to be strong, O Joshua, son of Justek, the high, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this later house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, again this, this morning, uh, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the encouragement, Lord, through, uh, not just through Paul's writings, but Lord, Haggai and the things that we read in the Old Testament, uh, it's, encouraging, it's encouraging to each one of us to know that uh, from the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation, you never left not one person. You never left them uh, to go do your own thing, Father. You stuck right by their side with all the tasks that you laid upon them, Lord. Uh, and I, I, Lord, I just want to thank you for what you do and how you do it, Lord, and how you use us to, to accomplish uh, your will here on earth. And I pray, Lord, that you are here uh, today as we study your book, as we continue to look at the book of Haggai. Father, I pray that we can find encouragement knowing that when you give us a, a huge task, Lord, you're right there by our side. And, and, and as your word says, you never leave us. And as Haggai said, you never left them and you'll never leave them. And Lord, I pray that we know that and we understand it. Lord, I pray for strength today. I pray for guidance. Lord, I pray for peace. And I pray, uh, Lord, for wisdom. Lord, grant liberty. Father, I pray that uh, today as we come in here to worship you, uh, that we're at peace with our lives. Lord, we're at peace knowing that uh, you're in control. And I pray, Father, that each one of us came into your house this morning, uh, repented and ready to worship. I'll ask you in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So we're going, to, we're going to look at two different things this morning. The first thing we'll look at, it's a, it's a call for resilience. And even though discouragement was starting, the people needed to find a way to overcome and keep working. They needed some encouragement. They needed, they needed, a, little, they needed a little goose in them. They needed, needed a little fire lit under them. And that's what happens when God speaks. When we need to be goosed, when we need to be spoken to, when we need some encouragement, if we'll pray, God speaks. If we need encouragement, if we get in his word, if we crack open our Bibles, knock the dust off of it, and start thumbing through, 
we'll find some encouragement. He will speak to you through his word, and we will find that encouragement. Now, uh, apparently there were those people who were old enough to remember Solomon's temple, and, and they were starting to get a little discouraged. That's, that temple was what they would call the pride of Israel because uh, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was so well built, and, and of course it was a temple, so they used it quite often for their, uh, their worship and, and for their sacrifices and all that stuff. But those who remembered it were disappointed in the new temple and were, what, what they were doing was sowing uh, seeds of discord. They, they were not happy. And, and if you know how, how, how not just churches but anything in general works, when the older congregation isn't happy, they tend to, it, it can trickle down the ranks. It can trickle down and affect the whole, uh, the whole group. And so that's what was happening because older people are, are um, they're, looked, they're looked up to. They're, they're patriarchs to matriarchs. They are, they are well-respected people in the community and in the churches and in this temple. And so when they started getting discouraged, they were able to start sowing these seeds of discord, and everybody kind of jumped on board with them. So everybody was getting discouraged. And their little minds, rebuilding this temple was pointless. They didn't think that it was something that needed to be done. So this would never measure up to, uh, to what they were used to, and they saw... Uh, the value, they didn't see any value whatsoever in moving forward with it. So they just become uh, negative Nancys out there. And so they just kind of got everybody down, just drug them down. They, they, choose, they chose to live in the past. Folks, there is no future in the past. That is not where you need to spend your time. When you start going back into your past, when you start going back into the, the days gone by, you can start dragging some people down. Don't worry about what took place in the past. We got to keep our eyes on the future. We got to look at what the here and now is and start going for the future. Start moving towards the future. We got to start looking to what God has in store in the future. We know what He done for us in the past, and that's great, and we need to to honor Him for that and thank Him for that. But there's also some bad things that can take place in our past that people want to bring up, and we can't be bringing that stuff up. We can't. You look at Saul. We're doing that, the study in Saul right, of uh, Paul and Saul right now. And, you know, Saul had a, a bad past. But the Lord used him in a great, great way. Changed his name. He's now Paul, and he's going and he's doing missionary journeys. Yes, his past was in the back of his mind. But he didn't use his past to bring down his ministry. He didn't bring up his past to, to hurt people and to hurt himself. He let it go. And he didn't live back there. He didn't want to live back there, and I don't blame him. We don't need to live in our past. We've got to stay away from our past and start looking for our future. But these, these, this older generation was thinking about the past. They chose to live there, and they would not embrace the work needed to, to, for the future. So they just pretty much quit. They're just sitting on the side. They're sitting over on those stones watching everybody else work. You know, if you've ever worked in... in, in construction or anything else like that especially and there's there's several people working and you have that one person out there sitting on the trusses or you got that one person sitting out there on the sheet of plywood and they're just sitting there and everybody else is doing the work that kind of brings you down it makes you mad it makes you throw hammers at them i've done that don't do that mike don't take notes on that one don't throw your hammer at people you get in trouble <laughs> too late <laughs> but 
that happens. People get, they don't want to do the work and they just sit down. Well, it rubs off on other people. Nobody else is going to want to work. Uh, well, many, many of us remember the good old days. Uh, and I, because Cammie had said that to us, was it Friday? We was taking them down to, we was taking them down to Winston. Uh, we do still have the girls, by the way. I know y'all didn't see them. Uh, we do still have them. They're, we're, we're on what they call respite this weekend. In other words, we needed to breathe. So they're in Winston. We'll get them back this evening. Um, but Cammie was talking about the good old days. I think that's how she said it. She's six. She don't know what the good old days were, but she mentioned the good old days. And uh, th that's what these people are doing here. These, these older Jews are over here talking about the good old days as reminiscing. And we remember a time when, uh, when attendance was up in our churches. And, I mean, even here, uh, I've heard y'all talk about how it was packed at one point. I mean, you added the wings on, and the church was filling up, and it was great. I remember, um, I remember my home church, at, or what was my home church, Willowdale. I remember that place being packed, and now it's not. I, I, I remember because we moved to Willow Valley in 2000, and I remember when Willow Valley was just, I mean, they, uh, of course, Maria didn't start going there till 2004 with me, but I think that they had opened the wings up not long after we got married. Took the walls, the, the wings, there were classrooms on each side, and we were packed in the sanctuary, so they took the walls down inside the, the classrooms to add wings onto the church, and now they're not full anymore. I remember the good old days. I remember when people, when we had tons of visitors coming in. I remember those Sundays when we would have to stand up almost every Sunday, and we'd do a little shake and howdy and, and say hi to the visitors, and that don't happen no more. I, I love the good old days. I love being able to, to go around and, and meet new people in our churches, but it doesn't happen anymore. Folks, these baptistries that, that are around here, they're dry, and that's sad. There's churches that haven't filled their baptistries up in years, and that's sad. Where, where did we fall short? Where did we mess up? I can't answer that. Everybody's got their own opinion. I, I can point a finger, but i got four more pointing back at me. We've all fallen short somewhere. And it's discouraging to a lot of churches and a lot of people. Uh, we could live in the past. We could pout about it, about what took place and, and how it'll never happen because folks will, will never see those good old days again. I don't, ever, I don't foresee, ever foresee our churches being packed as much as we'd love to. There's just too big a falling away going on right now, and I don't know that we'll ever pack a church out again, any churches. I, I pray that we do. I pray I'm wrong. But those good old days are about gone. People have just about given up on the churches. But what we can do is we can embrace the challenges that are before us because we got challenges. We got challenges right now in 2020 we didn't have in 1990. We got challenges right now in 2020 that didn't even exist back in 1980. We need to embrace those challenges and figure out how we can overcome them. But we do. Revelation, book of Revelations, and he, when John was writing, he said to the one that overcometh, that's us, we're the one. We're going to overcome this. We're going to overcome this challenge that is before us. And this challenge is of the devil. This challenge is drugs. This challenge is alcohol. This challenge is addictions. This challenge is the sin that is in this world. We have these challenges before us, and we will overcometh it like John says. 
because God has placed us on this path. And he said, you will overcome this because you are the one that's going to overcome this. And God said, I will be with you while you overcome it. I will hold your hand while you overcome it. I will be right by your side. And you know what, church? He said, I'm going to give you some help. And that's each one of us. As brothers and sisters, he's given us that help. We're, we're in this together because we are one. Amen. We ought to be in one accord. And we are that one. And it ain't just this church. It ain't Chestnut now. It's our, our sister churches up and down these roads. We're going to get in it together. We are in it together. And we're going to fight this thing together. We're going to overcome this thing together. And I pray that we pack our churches out when we do get over it, when we do overcome it. Now, we have these challenges. But I will tell you this. I'll never change my message. I'll never change God's message. I'll never change what I preach. And I don't want you to ever change what you preach because that's called compromise. And I will not compromise the word of God to get more people in this church. If from now to the end of times, this church dwindles down from 40 to 30 to 20 to 10 to just me, that's fine. I'll never change. I'll not compromise the word of God for nickels and noses because that's not what I'm here to do. I'll preach the word until the very end. To the very end. We have to find new ways to engage and to spread the, the gospel without that compromise. And it's tough. We're, we're going to have to, we've we got to use these, these kids that we got here. We've got to get it in them because they're, they're a tool in God's toolbox. They can get the word inside these schools to their friends. And their friends can get it outside the schools to their homes. And from their homes, their parents are going to want to come in to church. So it's a little cycle. We can do that. And it's okay to do that. And I want to do that. I want to be able to instill godly values in our children, whether it be at church and they take it home or they take it from church to school and then home, however they do it. But I want to be able to do that as a church. And we can, and we should. Now, we're not building a physical temple, but we are called to continue to build and expand the spiritual one that's inside of us. So we've got to keep building up what's inside of us, that spiritual tabernacle that he is, has inside of us. We've got to keep building it up. We've got to slap some paint on it every now and then. We've got to refurb it every now and then. We've got to clean it up every now and then. That's what he's called us to do. Now look over at verse uh, 4, the first little part of verse 4. It says, uh, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land. Now Haggai tells about the expectations God had uh, for his people. They were charged to be strong. Be strong. That's a charge. That's coming from God. That's God speaking through Haggai. He's saying, be strong. Be strong. But it wasn't just be strong as Zerubbabel, and it wasn't just be strong Joshua. He said, everybody. Everybody's got to be strong. We all have to be strong together. God wanted them to, to be hardworking and remaining faithful to 
what he had put before him, what God had given him. God just wants his people to be busy. That was, that was God's message through Haggai. I want my people to be busy. But that's still his message to the church today. I just want my people to be busy. We know what idle hands are. I mean, that's, the devil grabs a hold of a pair of idle hands and things get bad real quick. But God's telling Chestnut Dale, I want you to be busy. God's telling his church, I want you to be busy. Preacher David Ward said one time, he said the first two, word, first two letters in God spells go. I want you to be busy. When I was in Peru, one of the preachers that was there said that in his church that he had taken a sign and put it across the, the door, and it says go be the church. I love it. Everybody, you walk out the door, and right above the door it says go be the church. And that's what God wants us to do. Go. Be busy. Be my hands. Be my feet. I will use you. I'll use your tongue. I'll, I'll let you preach wherever you go. I will use you. I will be with you and I will use you. But go be busy. And don't, don't be lazy. Don't be out there sitting on that stack of trusses. Go be busy. God just wants us to get out and do something. We, we analyze our situations way too much. People are analyzers. Some people have to stop and think. It depends on the situation. I like to stop and think. Now, we were talking on the way up here. It's, it's Sunday morning. We're driving up, and I'm getting a game plan for Monday. On the way up here, I'm, I'm analyzing this. Because y'all don't know the struggle right now between shuffling youngins around, and now we've got to throw in ball practice on top of that, and, which is fine. But we have to, we have to think. We've got to plan. We've got to plan this week out. Who's picking up who and where? Because there's two of them youngins we can't leave alone. <laughs> we got, they got to be in, in one of our custody at, at all times. So we're pre-planning everything. We've got to analyze it. Well, sometimes we overanalyze. Sometimes we spend too much time analyzing. And when you spend too much time analyzing, a lot of times you're going to miss a blessing because you're just sitting there thinking instead of doing. Sometimes we need to be doers instead of thinkers. Be ye doers. That's what the Bible tells us. It's time for us to rise up. Now, verse the last part of verse uh, 4 uh, Says It says, in work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Haggai never said the task would be easy. I've never read in my Bible where, the ta- where it's ever, God's ever told us that whatever I got before you is going to be easy. And it ain't. We've got a job. Everybody talks about how hard their job is in life. Whatever you're doing, it's hard. But there ain't nothing harder than the Christian life. It's easy sometimes when things are going well. But, man, when the devil starts throwing wrenches in there, it gets hard. It gets hard. God never told us it was going to be easy. Jesus never did say, you know, pick up your net and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men, and it's going to be pie. Uh, He didn't say that. He said it's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. You're going to hit adversity. You're going to hit persecution. You're going to be dwelling with people. or dwelling. I'm sorry. You're going to be dealing with people that hate you. It ain't going to be easy, but just like he said right here, I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. That's not Haggai. Haggai didn't say, hey, I'll be with you guys until I die. 
That's the Lord saying, I'll be with you always until the end. To the end of the earth, he said, I'm going to be with us. Now, he did say that the Lord, what he promised to do, and that was be with him. And what else we possibly ask of from God? If we know he's going to be with us, what more could we ask for? I can't think of nothing. If my God is with me, that's good enough for me. Just knowing he's by my side. If God was in their midst, he would equip them. If God is in your midst, he will equip you. If God is, in, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside you, he's going to give you exactly what you need to go through whatever you're going through because that's what he does is he equips us for that task. No more, no less. Just It's perfect. Whatever he gives us is perfect for that task. And you might look around today and think about those who were with us at some point. Now, I, we've only lost a couple here in, in the four years I've been here. But I, I love to say and listen to some of y'all talk about the days and, and where so-and-so used to sit and what they used to do and say. I mean, I love to hear y'all reminisce. And uh, it makes me feel like I was there. I mean, there's a lot of detail in what y'all say. And I love that. And we think about where they're gone to. Some are called, they were called on home by the Lord. He took them on home. Uh, some have left and went on to another church, and some just quit church altogether. But we, we look back and we think about those people that used to be here and the many roles that people had in our churches. And it's the same looking back at Willow Valley. You know, Miss Lois and, and Miss Maddie and some of the ones that have gone on, several more besides that have gone on, and, and the responsibilities that they had there at the church. And we think, who in the world is going to take their place? Who in the world is going to step up and fill their shoes? And in, 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 our, in, our, in our minds, we're thinking nobody can do that. But in our hearts, God's saying, there's somebody, and I'm going to equip them. There's somebody in that congregation that can step up and do that role and, and, and take on those responsibilities, and I'm going to equip them. I'm going to give them exactly what they need to, to continue to carry that torch for the, for the church. He will do that for us. Because he told us he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He didn't die off when that person died or left the church. He's still moving in the church, and he's going to take the spirit that was in them and just move it right on in, and he's going to give that to somebody else to continue that work in our churches. He's in the midst of our churches. Now, number two, uh, just two points today. Number two, there's a call for faith in this, in this scripture. We've got to have faith. In God, we have got to have faith in His Word. Where He says here, "For I am with you," saith the Lord of Hosts. We got to have faith in knowing that He really is going to be with us. We have to have faith in knowing that He's not going to desert us. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to leave us high and dry. We have to have faith in knowing that He is not going to break that promise, because He ain't going to break that promise. As much as we pain Him sometimes. As big of babies as we can be sometimes when we don't want to do that task that he set before us, he's still going to be by us. God don't take respite. <laughs> God don't take a break from us. He just endures and sticks with us. He sticks it out, and he guides us through it. So along with that call for faith, God extended the call to rely on him to meet their needs. And the same is true for us today. We can rely on the Lord. Just like they relied on him in the Old Testament. Just like they relied on him in the New Testament. 
as we're in this age of grace right now in the New Testament church, we can rely on him, and we have to. Folks, if we didn't rely on him, these church doors wouldn't be open. If we didn't rely on him, we wouldn't be, see people being saved right now. If we didn't rely on him, there would be a lot more people sicker than they are because we rely on him. We watch him perform miracles and do great things in our lives because we rely on him. We have put our faith, we put our trust in him so that we rely on him, we see great things going on. And we can rely on, and i got several of these I want to talk about real fast. We can rely on him for, for his provision. If you look over at verse 5, it says, According to the word that I coveted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. He's going to provide. God made a covenant with Israel and he, when he led them out of Egypt. He made a covenant and he didn't break it. He provided. He had provisions for them the entire time. He didn't break it. He had met their needs in the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. God never failed them. He never failed them, not one time. And they looked, they, they thought he did, but that was just their thinking. He never failed them. There's nothing in our Bibles that ever says that he failed anyone. In their minds, we felt, they felt like he failed them. But we're just like them. There's times in our lives we feel like he failed us. Where was you, God? Where was you when I needed you? I've been in my darkest moments in life. Where was you? He's like, hey, guys, I'm over here. I'm the light. You just need to open your eyes. I never left you. I've been right there by your side the whole time. There's no need to fear, and there's no need to fear back then. There's no need to fear now. We can't fear. We ain't got nothing to be scared of. Not one thing to be scared of. Our relationship with the Lord is, is on a little different level than it was back then in, in Israel, but we can, still, we can still claim his promise. We can still, he's still fulfilling that promise. Jesus, he purchased our redemption, didn't he? Right there on that cross. He purchased it with blood. He purchased it. And then he rose from the dead and he sent the, the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us in the church the churches are going to face these valleys, but because of the sacrifice of the cross and the bloodshed and the resurrection, we can go through these valleys. We can go through these valleys and make our way back to the mountaintops because of what he done for us, and he done a lot for us. Now, there have been a lot of seasons of persecution going on in, in, in churches, lots of persecution going on in churches right now. But God's still with us. He was with the disciples as they were persecuted and martyred. He was with Paul as he was going and shipwrecked and, and imprisoned and, and beaten and everything else that he went through. He was still with them. And we ain't seen a drop of what they went through. We're getting a lot of... I don't People just talk bad about us. And that's about all we got to deal with. But he's still with us. And he's still going to give us the strength and the power to overcome it and to, to fight back, preach back when we can. We can rely on the power. Now look over verse 6 real fast. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. God tells them of all the events yet to come, and in doing so he's, he's showing his, uh, his power because he has great power. And he wants them to see that power. 
And these events will take place during the end times. So we're kind of seeing a little bit of prophecy right here. He's not talking about just right there. He's talking about in the future. He's talking about the things that will take place. And we serve one who possesses the absolute authority over that power, or of power. And his power is going to be shown and everybody is going to know his power someday. Some of us are already experiencing the power that he has through the Holy Spirit, but the others that don't have it, at the end times when they face him, they're going to see his power. They're going to see what he is and who he is and what they missed, unfortunately. Surely one who has the ability to shake an entire creation, as, as it said right here, it said, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, surely. One that can do that has the ability to work a, a great work in our lives. One that can, one that can. If you think about what happens in in, in the in the Bible, that can move mountains. Surely he can handle what we got going on in our life. Somebody that can take a child and kill a giant. Surely he can do a great work in our lives. One that can raise the dead, make them live, give them breath, make them walk again. Well, surely he can do a great work in our lives too. Somebody that can take a heart of stone and, and tender it up to, for salvation, surely he can do a great work in our lives. He can still do great works. We can rely on his promise. Look at the last or the second half of verse uh, 7. It says, um, And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord. That's a promise. The Lord said, I will fill this house. I will fill this temple. I'll make a corny joke there. If you build it, they will come. If you'll build this temple, they will come. I will fill it. I will fill it. He said, God himself will fill it. I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. He's going to fill it up. And even if it's only two people, his glory is going to fill the rest of it up. Even if it's just three people, 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, whatever room is left, God said, my glory is going to fill it all up. I am in your midst, and I'm going to fill this thing up. He makes reference, though, uh, to the coming of Christ, that this Old Testament, these Old Testament Jews will never live to see Jesus. <clears throat> He's making reference now to the Messiah, but they never got to see him. But he didn't break his promise because we've got to see him. He did walk on earth. He did spend 33 and a half years on earth. He was born, uh, going back into prophecy, he was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. He was crucified. He was risen. People physically seen him, but now we get to see him, and we get to feel him, and we get to experience him. So again, once again, God didn't break that promise that he gave us. He's not going to break that promise for us. He's still working in our lives today. Now, um, we can rile in his presence. Now, again, there in, in verse 7, the last part says, I will fill this house with his glory, saith the Lord of hosts. This, this was encouraging, and, and I hope it encourages you as well. When God said he's going to fill his house, that encouraged his people. And I hope that you can read that and find encouragement knowing that he's still going to fill his houses. He's still working, trying to, to use us to fill his houses. He wants to use us as vessels, and he wants, us to, he wants to use our churches as lights so that people could be drawn into his churches 
and experience something that they've never experienced before. He's still using us to fill them up. Now, he doesn't dwell in the temple like he did before. Now he's in each one of us through the Holy Spirit. And the believers are that, that temple. The, the believers, we, we are that temple. The Bible tells us that we are a temple. And we are to take care of this temple. Now, something else we can rely on is his presence. Look at verse 9. It says, The glory of this later, this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. God wanted those who were discouraged uh, to take heart. And he spoke of the future time. Where God's presence is, there is peace. So, during a funeral, and we ask for God's presence to be, to be felt, the reason we ask that is because we want that peace. Because wherever God is, there is peace. And that's what verse 9 is talking about there. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this, peace will I, in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Wherever he is, there is peace. So when you feel like you're discouraged and things are not going your way, look for God's presence. Seek his presence. Call out his name and ask him to be with you. He already is. And once you experience that presence of him, then you're going to feel that peace, a peace that passeth all understanding, a peace that you have never, you cannot explain, a peace that we will not know uh, we just can't explain it this side of heaven. But once his presence is known, you're going to feel that peace. And what a great peace it is. We can rejoice amidst the trials with that peace. We can enjoy the peace that comes from our Lord. No matter where we go, there is peace. So hang on to that. Be not dismayed, for I am with thee. Be not afraid, for I am thy God. Remember that. Don't be afraid. Because he is with us. Stand with me. We're going to close out.